What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Ohioverse presented by Deep Dive Sports. I'm your host, Nick, as always, and I am joined by Greg. What's going on, guys? And this week we are going to, you know, as always, we're going to hit that college football. We're going to talk about Ohio State. We'll try not to talk about the loss too much, obviously. Um, <laughs> that was a couple, that was like about a week ago now or a couple weeks ago now. And uh, I think we've had some time to uh, digest that hopefully a little bit. But we are going to talk about another Ohio school that has impressed and is going in the college football playoff for the first time. Then we're going to kind of move into some NFL talk and ex-Browns player. We're going to kind of, you know, I'm going to ask Greg a question about the Reds and the Guardians, now that they can call themselves that, since they uh, settled with the uh, roller derby team. And we're going to talk about some Blue Jackets and the Cavs. So to start it off, we are going to start off with some Ohio State football. And I don't know if you guys have noticed or not, but we've had some, you know, a couple big names and then, you know, another guy that hit the transfer portal over the past couple weeks, but they've all been QBs. So we've had Jack Miller hit the transfer portal. We've had Quinn Ewers hit the transfer portal and then walk on Jagger Leroy, I believe is his name. So I kind of just wanted to see, you know, what Greg's opinion on of, of why the mass exodus was. I think I have a good idea, but Greg, what do you think? I think at least with Quinn, he thought he would have had a really good shot at being the starting uh, quarterback over Stroud. And I think that that was something that he was considering. And then as dominant as Stroud has been, at least in, you know, offensive wise and the output and, you know, contender for the Heisman, I just think that he saw the writing on the wall and, and doesn't seem like Ryan Day is going to change that any day soon to, you know, make him the starting QB. So it, it's just about playing time. It's about exposure, especially with this, uh, you know, name image likeness stuff out now, the more playing time you get, the more, screen time you get if if you want to call it that then you know the more possible money you can get so i think it's just about about notoriety and about exposure and i think that that's what they were doing yeah i, I agree i think jack miller makes a lot of sense to transfer out because you know he just he wasn't going to get playing time i don't think he's a bad quarterback i think he you know he has his his room for improvements but he just wasn't going to get any player time because cj was always going to start over him and unless he wanted to wait for a long time, you know what I mean? Because e even if CJ's left, there's no guarantee that Quinn Ewers isn't going to take that spot. So I think he 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 decided to hit that transfer portal before Ewers did because he was like, I just don't see a path here for me to start. Not that he's not a good quarterback or he's not a good prospect, but he can go somewhere else and probably start somewhere else. It's surprising, but it's not surprising to me because the whole name image likeness thing, I, I think that we're all going to have to get used to what college football is going to look like now going forward. And I think that when you bring in a big time recruit like that, they're going to want to start right away. Like you said, because there's lots of money that's on the line and he left high school early because he, there was lots of money on the line. And then every single day that he doesn't, he's not the starting quarterback for Ohio state. He's losing money. So he's up and out of there. And I think he's going to go somewhere. That's a, a bigger name program where he's going to get the opportunity to start right away. And I mean, that sucks because you, you kind of look at it as a situation of like after next year, Stroud's probably going to go to the NFL draft. And then you have Quinn Ewers who could step right in, you know, a top five or a five-star talent, I should say, at quarterback playing the game. But yeah, the, the NIL is something that we're going to have to get used to. And, and it's, it's going to kind of affect the way that players make decisions when they, uh, when they choose a school and then when they transfer out, you know what I mean? There's, there's no more of this, like you're going to red shirt for a year and wait, these guys are going to want to come in and play if they're there's out of high school. Yeah. Gone are the days of, of, you know, fifth year seniors and, you know, yeah. stepping into those roles because these guys are, you know, I don't want to call them one and dones, but they need to do what they need to do to get themselves in mm -hmm that and then and then they can move move forward and we see what the nfl is doing is that they're putting these guys right out there as soon as you know okay yeah, yeah. you did your bid in the, in the college realm and now let's come play in the nfl see if you can play with the big boys and you've seen some of these you know qbs have been able to do that and others haven't so yeah i mean you, you think about players you know like johnny manzel um comes to mind like in, if he played in in the nil like days he would have made a ton of money in college football but then you look at him going to the pros and he just didn't pan out. So I think a lot of guys, like they have that in the back of their mind. They're like, well, we can make a ton of money now. What happens if we get to the league? Maybe we get injured or maybe something happens where we just don't make it to that big contract. 
at least we can make a bunch of money now. We can put that away and then we have that as a nest egg. So, cause there's a lot of money to be made. I mean, even, even like, you know, players that are not in like the, I, I would say the, the big two sports right now in college, which is, you know, basketball or football, you know, you're getting like volleyball players that are getting multi-million dollar endorsement, getting track stars that are getting, you know, multi-million dollar endorsement deals. And, and these are huge. So it's definitely a, it's definitely a new time, a crazy time. And, and I think that that's kind of what we're going to see in college football going forward. We kind of saw that with, you know, the coaching carousel that went on, like the coaches are taking the money too. So yeah, and they don't feel bad about it. <laughs> so it's definitely interesting, but to kind of go back to a guy that we talked about, you know, the quarterback that's pretty much left on the roster at this point um, is, is CJ Stroud. And after this campaign that he had this year, do you, Greg, believe that he could lead us, you know, to a playoff? Do you believe that he's a guy that could win a Heisman next year? And do you believe that he's a guy that could get us a second championship within this, you know, college football playoff era? Oh, completely. He has shown excellence uh, first few weeks for a little rocky, but ever since then, I mean, even in the Michigan game, I mean, it was, it was a back and forth game and, and they were competing the entire time. And I think CJ is, is, with a little bit more tools added to him, you know, with the incoming uh, players, I think just learning the system a little bit better. I think it's completely possible that, that he could, you know, win in Heisman. He's in contention now for it and possibly, you know, take Ohio state to a national championship. you know, they're two touchdowns away from that, you know, with Michigan. So I, I see it possible. Yeah, I agree. I think that, I think honestly, when we went into this season, I think a lot of people saw, CJ Stroud is like a, it's kind of like a stopgap quarterback, which is kind of weird because you don't think about that in college football, especially a program like Ohio State. You know, you looked at CJ, you looked at Jack Miller, and you were like, one of those guys is going to start, and then they're just going to kind of be a placeholder until Quinn. You were used to playing college football, but <laughs> obviously he he progressed so much throughout the season. He got so much better, and you know, I think Ryan Day has a pretty good eye for really good pocket passing quarterbacks you know what I mean and if you're not he can kind of turn you into that you know what I mean I don't know obviously we don't know what Justin Fields looked like before he got to Ohio State but he he was able to turn him into a pretty good pocket passing quarterback when you're talking about a guy who was a run first quarterback coming into college out of high school definitely interesting I think that he's definitely going to be our guy for the next year I I just think unfortunately after next year I think he's going to go into the draft and I don't know what we'll do at quarterback then but I'm sure they'll figure it out. <laughs> but moving on to the Ohio college that did make it into the playoffs this year, Cincinnati University. Amazing. Hats off to them. I'm super excited. I think that we've had this conversation a bunch outside of the podcast, but they got, I think they got a little lucky that Oklahoma State lost in that game. Um, and especially Oklahoma State lost on like, they tried to score a touchdown with like a couple seconds done. So, but they do have the unlucky matchup of Alabama the first round. And we all saw what Alabama did to Georgia in the championship game when we all kind of thought Georgia was the consensus number one team in the country. So I guess, Greg, you know, many say that Cincinnati's overrated. What chance do you really give Cincinnati, you know, to beating Alabama in this first round? I think it's really good. I think that, again, I know we've talked about this a million times, they were one bad call and a field goal away from beating Georgia last year. It's completely plausible. And yeah, you've seen them have some close games against, you know, Tulane and, and all that stuff like that, but it's completely plausible for this to happen. I, I think that Alabama has played like garbage that Auburn game was just disgusting. It was gross. It was like, you know, and then they kind of turn around and then they beat Georgia. And it's, I just don't think that anybody knows who they are right now. And I think the only two teams that actually do know who they are, are actually Cincinnati and Michigan. So I see that these, everybody's putting, you know, Georgia and Alabama at the, at the top tier. I think that Michigan and, and Cincinnati might shock some people. That would be that'd be a fun matchup in the championship. But, you know, you're a numbers guy, so I kind of put some stats together. When you look at, you know, Alabama and Cincinnati's defense, Cincinnati's number seven, Alabama's number eight. So they're pretty close there. And they both give up around the same amount of yards, just 305 per game. So when you kind of look at, like, talent-based, some people will say that Cincinnati hasn't played as good as a talent as Alabama. But I would say that, you know, the bottom three-fourths of, 
you know, Alabama's conference is probably not much better than this conference that Cincinnati is in when you talk about talent-wise. And, you know, obviously it's Division One college football, so everybody's going to be pretty good. But when you're talking about comparison-wise, I don't think it's that far off. You know what I mean? Obviously Alabama had to play Georgia and Texas A&M and Auburn and, and teams like that that are normally pretty good, you know, programs. Auburn, I think, has had a few years. But I think the one thing that when you look at – um for Cincinnati is they are 48th in rushing and Alabama has one of the better defense fronts when you talk about stopping the run so I think that's going to be something that they're going to have to either figure out or just abandon altogether in that game to try to score some points but we'll see you know I mean when you look at the QB comparison obviously Young has had a Heisman you know caliber season with 4,300 yards 43 touchdowns four interceptions and you know percent completion rate but when looking at like Ritter's stats, I think he threw less passes. You know what I mean? He only had 3,100 yards, 30 passing touchdowns, eight interceptions, and 65.9% completion percentage. So obviously there's a pretty big difference there. Um, I don't think Ritter's, you know, an awful quarterback, but I do think that Young has a little bit of a better, he's a little bit better of a passer. So I think that that's going to play a factor in this game. I think that you know, defense is going to play a huge part in this game. And when you look at that Cincy defense, like I said, ranked seventh, they've only allowed 10 passing touchdowns this season. They've had 18 interceptions and they've held teams to 168.3 yards passing. So I think the only way they're going to be able to win this game is if their pass defense stops young and they're able to just score enough points, you know, to get past them. I think I think it's totally plausible that we have another gritty game like they did against Georgia last year in that bowl game. So, which would be fun, you know what I mean? If, if it's like a close game like that, but yeah, I think everybody says it's, it's, it's any given, you know, Sunday, or I guess in college football, it's any given Saturday. Um, <laughs> so anybody could win and these guys have never played each other and they're both deep, you know, minded coaches. So it'll be interesting though. I'm super stoked for them to get the opportunity but with that opportunity comes consequences, whether those are good or bad, especially for the non-Power 5, you know, conferences, that, that group of five conference. So I think a lot of people have been talking about it, you know, the significance. I think that's going to be the storyline going in. One of the storylines going into it, I should say, is, is the, you know, the consequences, whether good or bad for group of five. So how significant would a win be, not only for Cincinnati, but other group of five schools and then how significant would a like a blowout loss be when you're talking about, you know, getting into the college football playoffs? In- um, I'm going to start with the loss first, because I think that that's going to be the biggest impact of what could possibly happen. Um, a blowout loss to me, I think, would really stick in the minds of the committee moving forward. With these, you know, non-power five schools, and it would really weigh on their mind. Or, or are we really doing the right thing? Why are we? keeping a team out that should be in just because we had some, you know, team that went, you know, undefeated in their quote unquote division. So uh, I think that that the, the long-term impact of the loss would be far more significant than the, the impact of the win. Now a win would mean not only great for the city of Cincinnati, but for, you know, the state of Ohio. And I think that Luke fickle would actually get a little bit, um, Come what may's uh, is just dessert. His his he he's a great coach. We saw what he did with Ohio State. We've seen what he's done with. I don't want to call it a ragtag bunch in Cincinnati, but he's a good coach. And if he can slay the the Saban Dragon, that would be the, mm-hmm. that's dinner table folklore conversation. Wow. You remember that year that that Luke Fickle beat Saban? That was amazing. You know that's that, that that's what I think. You know, but that's a little bit more short-lived, you know, every season's, mm-hmm. you know, then they're just going to compare it over and over again. But it still gives those non-Power 5 schools a chance if this goes off the way we want it to, obviously. But if it doesn't, as the consequences are far more reaching. Yeah, I agree with you. You know what I mean? And and you're you're right that, like, he went down there, and I think I saw a stat that he was, like, 44-6 and six over the past four years at Cincinnati. I mean, that's... That's phenomenal, first of all. And then second of all, the past two seasons, they've not lost a game, except for that bowl game last year in Georgia. Or not in Georgia, but the, the Peach Bowl against Georgia, say sorry. And they only lost by like a last second, you know, field goal. So it's like he has built a culture of winning. 
and he's done it without, you know, having the same level of talent as all these other guys, um, all these other programs, I should say, at the top. And, and, and he's helped put them in a position to, to play in one of, in, I would probably say that this is, this is an even bigger game than the national because, like you said, it's against Saban and Alabama, which are pretty much the Goliaths of college football at this point. I mean, I would love to say that, you know, Ohio State is on the same level, but they're just not. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's completely different when you're talking about, you know, in, in 20, 30 years when we talk about Alabama and, and this dominance that they've been on with Saban as a head coach. It, I don't think there's really going to be anything that you can, you know, that you can parallel, compare to that. So it's definitely, it's definitely a huge game. You know what I mean? I, I agree with you. A blowout loss is, is not going to look good you know, on Cincinnati in general, but just just non-Power 5 schools. I, I think that's going to hurt their opportunity until they kind of expand the playoffs. So it'll be interesting. I'm super excited. Let us know in the comments how excited you guys are for, you know, for this game. And um, give us your give us your percentage on, on, you know, what percentage you think that Cincinnati has to, you know, their chance to beat Alabama. I think it's a 50-50 game. Do you, you know, they only have a 30% chance. You know, these kinds of things. Let us know in the comment section because it's definitely an interesting topic. I think a lot of different people have a lot of different opinions. And you can go with the whole I'm not going to best bet against Alabama until they prove me wrong. And that's probably fair, too. But moving on to the NFL, OBJ was released by the Browns a couple weeks ago and picked up by the Rams. Now, I'm not going to say that he's had, you know, the past, I think he's only been played three games for the Rams so far, two or three games. I'm not going to say that he's been like the best wide receiver in the world at this point, but over that time he has, you know, put together, I think over a hundred yards, almost 200 yards, two touchdowns. You know, I think he's in double digits and catches. So obviously they're trying to get him targets or trying to get him involved. Is he looking pretty good so far with the Rams? And then should we start to blame the Browns and even Baker Mayfield for his poor production in Cleveland? And should Cleveland start kind of looking at themselves and being like, did we let go of a guy that we still could have gotten? What do you think? The answer to all of that is yes. (laughs) Okay. Matthew Stafford is by far a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield. Yeah. And you could tell his his veteran presence uh, in the locker room, his veteran his veterans presence on the field in the locker room shows with Matthew Stafford he knows when to throw and when not to throw. And I think that he has the ability to to read those routes a lot better than I think this young Baker Mayfield is and I think Baker Mayfield's hurt and I think there's a lot of stuff going into this but the Rams have a better coach and a better QB than the Cleveland Browns. Sean McVay is by far a better coach than Stefanski, and Stafford is by far a better QB than Baker Mayfield. OBJ is now put in a situation where he's got a great coach that takes a little, brings a lot out of people that shouldn't. And, uh, you know, look, he took Jared Goff to the Super Bowl, and Jared Goff is a trash quarterback. And it's just isn't a better situation for him. And, and, and I, I, all props to OBJ for, for picking a team that could possibly, you know, take him to a Super Bowl in the future. I'm not saying this year per se, but uh, yeah, it's all the Browns' fault and it's all Cleveland's fault completely, 100%. Dang. Yeah, this is another like only this kind of happens to Cleveland moment. You know what I mean? I, he was there for what, almost three years, three seasons, almost three or four. He was there for a good amount of and they they spent a good amount of resource on him and just couldn't produce. Now, when you look at the circumstance, yes, the first year he was there, not great. You know what I mean? I think they were going back and forth between starting Baker and, and Tarod, and that was the whole Hugh, Hugh Jackman thing, or I'm sorry, Hugh Jackson, not Wolverine the football coach, Hugh Jackson. <laughs> um, that was that whole, like, the debacle. And then the next year they were like, oh, Freddie Kitchens, head coach. That didn't work out. And then they finally brought in, you know, Kevin Stefanski, and they had a good season. And, you know, then Odell was just in and out with injury, and he couldn't stay healthy. And then he came back this year. And it just – I'm not going to put all the blame on the, you know, the Cleveland organization. I think that – But think you, that, should. <laughs> you should. You should. Well, they, and, they let him get away. They released him yes. without trying to figure even to even try to get anything for him to the trade deadline. They yes. completely 
for the lack of a better term, crapped the bed with this situation. Listen, and and I, I think yes, you you can you 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 can totally blame them because Baker Mayfield's their starting quarterback. Now I I don't hate Baker Mayfield, but I do think that he's very dependent on other on having really good players around him. And when you know the rest of his teammates start to get hurt and they have to rely on him, it's just not it's just not going to work out. You know what I mean? I've, I've said it a hundred times. He's in the same he's in the same category of you know Ryan Tannehill. Kirk Cousins, these guys are not prolific passers. They're going to have games where they look really good, but most of the majority of their games, they're going to have one touchdown, two touchdowns, one interception, you know, 180, 220 yards, like 13 pass completions. Like it's not, it's not going to be something to where like somebody like Odell can thrive. You know what I mean? So him going to the Rams, that was an amazing decision. And you know what? I am going to take some credit for that because I told him to go to the Rams. So I don't know how he, you know, he got that. I think he listened to our podcast. Maybe somebody who knows listened to our podcast. And he was like, yeah, Nick said, go to the Rams, but I'm going to take a little bit of credit on that. One. Probably not. <laughs> don't worry, guys. All right. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, that's, like I said, that that's another, like, yep. That's a Cleveland thing. You only, you have, you have a guy that you bring to your team. Who's at the time, you know, obviously he, was injured but at the time he was a top five wide receiver in the league and only them could turn a guy like that into a bottom five wide receiver and then when he leaves he starts performing like a top you know 15 wide receiver so it's like I don't know it'll be interesting to see kind of how he goes throughout the year and and how the Rams look but yeah I think we're both on the same bet that uh, I think we're both on the same uh, side there that uh, they messed that one up <laughs> well back to Another Cleveland team that messed things up, but they get to be the Guardians now because <laughs> they uh, they settled. So now we have a, a Cleveland Guardians baseball team and a Cleveland Guardians roller derby team. Who gets the website? I don't know. That'll be the next big discussion. Who gets the Twitter page? That'll be the next one. Step by step for the Cleveland Guardians, formerly known the Cleveland Indians, more Cleveland fun stuff. But I did want to get our resident baseball expert and host of On Deck. You can watch those every other Mondays or listen to them, I should say. But I wanted to get his opinion on who he thought was going to have a better season next season, the Reds or the Guardians. Now, I think we got a little bit of free agency before things kind of halted. So I don't know where both teams are specifically at at this point, because like I said, I think that everything kind of halted there for a little bit. But what do you think what are they looking like? Do you think the Reds or the Guardians have the better season? Uh, Guardians by far. Uh, Antoinette already said that he, you know he's going to focus on offense. Uh, you know when it comes to free agency, and I just think that that their minor league system by far is is better, way better than Cleveland's farm system, just with a lot of uh, you know, upcoming arms and bats. Cincinnati's problem is that they go cheap again, and they they lose people that they they could have easily you know wade miley they could have picked up that 10 million dollar option next year despite the fact that he pitched well then they didn't pick it up and then he goes to somewhere else it's just cincinnati has has shown that they just don't want to spend the money we've talked about this a million times they're fine being a landing spot for players in decline superstar players in decline uh and the minute they get somebody that's somewhat hot, they either trade them off or, you know, I mean, you've you got some guys to stick around like Joey Votto did for, for a while until it just wasn't worth it anymore. But Cleveland, we've talked about how they continuously put out superstars. Their, their farm system, their scouting is just far superior, and I think they just put more effort to, into it, and they're more financially viable team to uh, – to get a national or to get a, a World Series championship, Guardians will will do far better than Cincinnati next. Year. Yeah, yeah. When I, I think it's funny when you, when you look at Cleveland, it's like they they know that they don't have the money to spend with the the big franchises. When you talk about you know the games and the Dodgers, the Cubs, and you know San Francisco, and, and where the hell are the Mets getting all this money? By the that is, I don't know. Somebody's giving it to them. <laughs> But 
it's just but going back to cleveland they, they don't have the money to spend like some of these big organizations so they know that if they put the money into their farm system they're going to get some good talent coming out like you said they have one of the best you know scouting slash farm systems in the league and they consistently bring good talent up from there but when you look at the reds they they know that they don't have the money to spend with the big guys they probably don't even have the money to spend that cleveland does but they don't even put the money into their farm system or scouting. You know what I mean? So it's like, so they, they barely have any talent that comes up. And when they do, like you said, they either don't want to pay them because they're cheap. You know what I mean? So they either let them walk or, or they trade them away. You know what I mean? To get some picks and then they just don't draft the right people. So it's like, it really sucks. Cause you know, I'm not the biggest fan of like Cincinnati sports, but you you do you do feel for people that that are fans of you know franchises that that are okay with stealing their money and, and being okay being either mediocre or bad for years you know what i mean like the Bengals were mediocre for they were okay definitely interesting i'm sure you guys will hear more um fun topics like this on on deck definitely check them out greg knows his stuff about baseball trust me <laughs> give that a listen if you like baseball but moving on to the NHL, I do want to talk about the Blue Jackets. They are in a fun spot right now. So they have a fun, young, energized team. And, you know, obviously they're having their bumps and bruises throughout the season. You know, they're they're having games where they're losing by, you know, four or five goals. But they're having games where they're winning and they're having fun and they're beating teams. And, and they're in place to where they can make a run for the playoffs this year. But it just depends on how things go. So I know a lot of the conversation over the past couple of weeks has been, you know, when the trade deadline comes up, are they going to go all in like they did a couple of years ago? Or are they going to kind of trust the process, let this season play out, let these young guys grow within these veterans and see where this team's at the end of the season? You know what I mean? I kind of wanted to get your opinion on that, Greg. Which, which path do you think that they should take and which path do you think that they will? I don't think that they're going to take as extreme of a path as they did. I believe was it 2018. That trade deadline was just mm-hmm. was just crazy. I mean, obviously the, the Corpusalo chatter always picks up around this time of year, and it's just a matter of what they can uh, get for him. Um, he's been injured a little bit, so that you know, obviously you know that 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 plays into that account. Where could he go? What could they get? Are they looking for draft picks or are they actually looking for, you know, replacement players and stuff like that? Um, so that's that's the thing. I mean, I've heard some stuff with the Sabres going on with as far as him going there. Um, Max Domi is another one on the block. Uh, you know, he's getting looked at a little bit and he shows off his speed. So he could be a good addition, uh, maybe somewhere like Montreal or, or something like that. So you've got Johnson and uh, was it Krill Marchenko um, they've been showing up really well so I think we have good talent that could take us and we have good chips that could get us a little extra going maybe this year but maybe even next year so yeah th- this this is what I'll say the Blue Jackets organization has always strived to be a winning organization they've never I don't think that there was a time where they sat there and they, they, you know, cheated us out of a season by tanking or cheated us out of a season by, you know, trying to be bad or not caring. You know, they, they've always tried to put together a team that wins. Now, have they been successful at it all the time? No. And you can't expect them to be because, you know, they are one of the newer franchises within the NHL. Obviously, we've had a couple of expansions over the past, like, five years. But outside of that, they are still pretty new. So... I think when you look at them, I think there's a good chance at the trade deadline if they're in a pretty good spot that they do make some moves and maybe they move some of these good like young players or even some of these good veteran players that are, you know, kind of outperforming what people thought they might at this point and they kind of sell high on them and then, you know, hope that they can get a good return in whether that's young people or whether that's, you know, a, a, a decent player that can kind of help them towards the future. Um, I think that they should let the season play out. I think that they have a good mix of young and they have a good mix of veterans. And I think that there is lots of energy and these guys are clicking really well this season. And if they miss the playoffs, they miss the playoffs. But I think that they should, you know, trot this team out all season and let them fight for it. And I think that I think the last time we saw a team fight this hard and play this way, you know, they made some noise in the playoffs and they knocked off the number one seed. So 
I, I don't know. That's my opinion behind it. Like I said, I, I think when you look at the history of the way that they do things, they definitely try to put together a winning squad. So I, I think that it's more likely that they they make they make a few trades at the trade deadline to try to, you know, go all in a, in, a, in a playoff, you know, push this year. And whether or not whether or not that's the right decision, I don't know. We'll see. You know what I mean? Because you talk about the you talk about the struggles of bringing of, of getting people to stay. You know what I mean? And I think part of their problem is is that is that they have tried to you know get talent by trading it, and not a lot of guys. And you're bringing in guys that may not want to be here, unfortunately. And so then a couple years after that, they just, so all that work that you put in was all for naught. Instead of focusing on the guys that are here and cultivating relations in the community and helping them fall in love with Columbus, I think that that's more important, especially for those young guys. And you get that. And then that's going to be talent for, you know, 10 years down the road that you're going to have on this team. And those guys are going to feel bought in and passionate about, you know, the city of Columbus, the state of Ohio. But to go back up north, we're going to end off with some Cavaliers talk. And we are a fourth of the way through the season. And they've had some wins against teams that, you know, you would think at the beginning of the season they wouldn't get wins against. They've had some close losses where you're like, wow, they looked really good even though they lost. And they've had some losses that were pretty bad that you were like, well, that's the team that we thought we would see. So... How much do you believe in them at this point to make the playoff? They're in near lock to make the postseason. Okay. Wow. They're, they're, they're in my mind, in the way I've looked at the um, upcoming games, strip the schedule, um, they're projected to win a crazy amount of games this season. Uh, they're mm-hmm. beating teams that, again, and we talked about this before, they're beating teams they shouldn't, yeah. losing to teams – that they, you know, that losing to teams they shouldn't. So mm-hmm. it, it it just, you know, goes in their favor that that they've just got a lot going on. You know, Garland, Sexton, what is it? They're currently fourteen and twelve. I mean, they just beat uh, seventeen and eight Chicago Bulls. That are Bulls look amazing this year, and you know, and they pulled out a one fifteen and ninety two uh, victory over them. Um, they're seventh in the Eastern Conference race, um, and they've had the toughest schedule out of the NBA's first 26 games, I believe. So to come out 500 in that situation, um, they got a good percentage chance. I'm, I'm talking to the 90% chance that they'll make the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you when you look at some of their previous games here, starting with um, back on the 29th against the Mavs. They beat the Mavs 114-96. to And then they turn around and beat the Heat 111-85. to And then they beat the Wizards 116-101. to They lost to the Jazz by one point. And then they lost to the defending champions 104-112. to And then they beat the Bulls, like you said. So in that stretch, they played probably the top, you know, in the East. They probably played the top four teams in the East. And then in the Mavs, the Jazz, they played, you know, two of the top five teams, you know, over there. So that's a hard stretch, like you were saying. And they've come out with some good, like some good wins. And then the losses that they have, you look at that and you're like, you know, against the Bucks and the Jazz, you're like, those aren't, obviously you don't want to lose games, but those aren't bad losses. You know what I mean? So no. I'm... I do I do agree with you. I don't I don't know if I want to say they're a lock for the playoffs because they're a young team right now. You know what I mean? And I think they're playing with house money. And I think as the season goes on and you start to say, hey, you're playing well. You're in chance you're in the spot to make the playoffs. I think it'll I think really what'll determine for me is if they can continue to win. And when we hit that like where we're, you know, we have a fourth of the season left. And they're still consistently playing well and, and beating these teams or, or playing these teams hard and they still have themselves in playoff contention, then I could say like they're a lock for the playoffs, at least the playoff, you know, tournament or the, the play in tournament, I should say. Yeah. Well the thing is is that their offense has shown up pretty well. You know, like I said, they've they've played some pretty good games where they've put up some points, but they're mm-hmm. still twentieth out of thirty in offensive production. 
Yeah. But what's really you know surprising and really staggering, and I think we kind of talked about this uh, before when we talked about where they're drafting and and what the free agents in there are they putting out too many big men out there? Mm-hmm. They're fourth in the league in defense. Yeah, yeah, they're really good at defense. So I mean, and whether you talk about basketball or talk about football, whether you talk about baseball, defense wins championships. Mm-hmm. If you can slow them down and slow down their offensive output, that's how you win. Well, and think and, about it too, in the playoffs, everything slows down. It's not it's not a fast-paced game anymore. And if you're able to, in the regular season, play really good defense and slow these teams down, then I can only imagine in the postseason when, when they're able to control, you know what I mean, more, more of the game that way. That's gonna be. That's not gonna be a fun team for like a one or two seed to play. You know what I mean? That's not gonna be a fun matchup. Now, whether or not they get out of the first round, that's kind of up to them. But it'll definitely be interesting. I'm. I think we said it before. Like a couple weeks into the season, between you know hockey and basketball, we were like, wow, these these teams are doing a lot better than I think we thought they were gonna do. Yeah, the, some of the opening, you know, even preseason stuff we talked about, like, yeah. is this gonna be another year for the teams? And then now yeah. we're like, oh crap, this is maybe the year for the teams. Yeah, <laughs> it's fun. I mean, like you you look at it and you're like, okay, these franchises they both have us, they both have squad, they they got some dudes, and and I'm super excited about it. So, but to talk about the dudes, there are two guys on the Cavs that you know people people will say you know they're the future some people will say they're not some people say they deserve the max money some people say they don't and i'm talking about sexton and garland should the Cavs pay sexton and garland max money or should they sell high and keep looking for the next you know guy to lead i think with sexton yes you pay him the max money i haven't seen enough quite enough out of garland but also i think that he's going to be the first to jump if it comes down to another team offering him a higher paycheck. So, uh, but I, I definitely think Sexton is, is well worth it. His offensive output, his defensive prowess is, is phenomenal. He, he definitely, you know, is a leader on that team when it comes to uh, managing that floor. I, I firmly believe he is worth the money. Like I said, I just need to see a little bit more out of Garland answer that question. But if they don't pay him, they're going to go somewhere else. So, I don't know. This is where I'll disagree. Now I like Sexton as a player, but I think that they sh- I think that they I think they pay Garland maximum. I think that they sell high on Sexton. And here's why. I think Sexton reminds me a lot of Russell Westbrook kind of player and I just don't know if that's what you need in the league now or what you can have in the league now to be successful. So you kind of look at, you know, Westbrook on the Lakers at this point and he's struggling. It's hard for him to play and be successful with other guys. And, you know, I think it got covered up a lot because he was the only guy down there in OKC. So you could get past the low field goal percentage. You could get past the high turnover rate because he was scoring a lot of points and he was he had a lot of assists and he had a ton of rebounds and he was getting the triple doubles. And you kind of forgot about all that stuff. But now those numbers are starting to get exposed. And when you look at Colin Sexton, you know, yes, he's averaging 16, you know, points a game, which is not bad. I mean, that's that's pretty solid. But what you would want from, you know, your top scorer on your team, you would want in that like that 20 range. You know what I mean? I think the Cavs play a lot of selfless basketball because they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys in double digits. So it's not shocking that he only has 16 points, but you would hope that he would have more of an offensive, you know, output. So then, so then you look at field goal percentage and he's sitting at 45% field goal percentage compared to, you know, Garland's 47. And then his three point percentage is only 24% compared to like Garland's 39.2. So he, he doesn't shoot the three that well. And he doesn't shoot free throws that well at 74%. He's at that LeBron number. (laughs) Now LeBron can get away with it because he's LeBron, but that's still pretty low. And then as a guard, you know, especially coming out of college as a point guard, he doesn't pass the ball that much. He only averages two assists where Garland averages 7.2. So when you look at them as a player, I just think that, you know, Garland is a more well-rounded player. And I think that Sexton is like that. He, he's just that, that bully ball kind of guy. You know what I mean? He's going to go out there. He's going to play physical. He's going to play hard. 
And he's going to play so physical and so hard that he looks like a guy that you can build around. But I think that they sell high on him. I think as of right now, they look at him at the trade deadline or maybe even at the end of the season and they go, hey, what can we get out of this guy? And can we get a pick? Can we bring back some role players? Let's build around. Let's build around a big three in Darius Garland, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. You know what I mean? And that's and that's the guys that they build around. I think that that would be, you know, I think that's, in my opinion, what they should. But <laughs> I mean, I know you disagree, but did I did that change your mind a little bit or are you still kind of set in stone on that? No, I mean, because I like the the style in which Sexton plays. I like that hard nosed basketball. Yeah. I mean, I I see the Russ, uh, Westbrook comparison, but I think that that is you're also trying to sell tickets. You're also trying to get people on the floor, and yeah. I, I just think that that Sexton is is a marquee guy, and I think that he's just. I mean, it doesn't change my mind. It just, I, you know, I see where you're coming from, but yeah, um, I'm more or more on on what I'm going to get out of him, not only output-wise on the bench, but from monetary, from merchandise, from, you know, there's a lot of different factors when it comes into how they're going to market a, a, a particular player. And so, yeah, I mean, I can, I can see that. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I, again, I get it. I get, I get the allure of, of having a, a dude like that because he's, he's a dude, but I just I don't know I don't know if he's if he's a P that you build around or that, that you that you build around for a championship team. And I don't know if he's a guy that can be a second or a third or even a fourth fiddle on a team like that. You know what I mean? When he plays like that, he's just gonna kind of bog everything. I did want to talk about one more player, and I think a lot of people are gonna be surprised about who I want to talk about, but it is the one dollar man himself, Kevin Love. And I wanted to get Greg's opinion. With the way that Kevin Love has been playing, do we regret at all saying all those? Not one damn word. <laughs> Dang. If you're having this much output and this quality output, he's he's playing good basketball right now. And you're saying that that wasn't in you last season? Or the season before. Or yeah. the season before. Like, you're telling me that it, it's it's that, that child that – didn't like the toy that he was dealt with so he's going to pout in the corner until he gets the the new shiny toy and then he's going to come out of the corner that's what i put it to it, it's this all of a sudden now he's got guys around him that he's like oh oh this could be a thing so i'm going to put i'm going to put that effort that i wasn't putting in i'm yeah. going to put that effort back and no i don't regret any of the words we've talked about him he was garbage he's still garbage as an individual character my, you know, my grandfather said character is, is is the most important quality in an individual, and that's what you have to look to first. And his character was shown when he decided he was going to play to the less of his abilities, and then all of a sudden, there's a chance that we have a good team that's going to take us somewhere, and I'm not going to. And now I'm going to start to produce, and so uh, I'm done with love. I still say trade him for a bag of chips and an empty coke can. Uh, I'm done. Yeah. I'm gonna agree with you. I, I don't regret saying that the things that I said because that it, that's that's how I felt. You know, I mean, I think that as a Cavs fan, that's how a lot of us felt was that, you know, already we didn't. I didn't like the contract they gave him. I don't think anybody did. I think they did that to put butts in seats, and um, it kind of backfired on him because, like you said, he kind of sat there and he was like, "Pardon my French," but he looked at it and he was like, "This is a shit team," and he wasn't wrong in that thinking, but by not going out there and playing hard and, and, and giving us a reason to still watch games. Like I, I just, I, again, you, you said it character and he did not exhibit the best character. And now he wants to come out and have fun and play hard and be a team guy. No, no. Yeah. I don't, I don't like that. You know what I mean? I, I guess for, for the time being, I'm happy that he's putting in the effort because it's, it's helping us win games, but I, I think it's going to take a, a lot more than just him playing hard for me to kind of gain, you know, to, to, to gain, you know, some, some better imagery of, of him going forward, but we'll keep watching him. I mean, like I said, he's, he's been a, a pretty pivotal, you know, player on the team and, and he's definitely helped at least some of those young guys a little bit and he's putting up numbers that are helping us win. So as of right now, He's being productive. We'll see what happens in the future, you know, as the trade deadline comes up and uh, 
and the season continues. But to end the episode off, we are going to go into our famous double take segment. And it looks like uh, Greg's happy about this. So maybe he has something, something fun to talk about. I don't know. <laughs> but we are going to start off with our one thing that we think will happen in the sporting world over the next two weeks. So, Greg, I will let you kick that off. It's going to piss off a lot of people that listen to this show called Ohioverse. Oh. But my oh. prediction for this next coming few weeks in sports is that Michigan, the Wolverines, will be the national champions at the end of all of this. I know that's a couple weeks away. That's more than two weeks away. But, but, you, but you, you, think, you think they'll be playing in the national championship? Yes, and they will win. Okay, well, let's all uh, let's all hope that uh, Greg is wrong. So um, he's made predictions in the past and they haven't come true. So you know we can uh, we can all hope. We can all pray. I mean, they beat Ohio State wholeheartedly. They put a whooping on Iowa, forty-two to three, in the Big Ten championship. You know, they face Georgia, who just got poorly beat by Alabama. I think that whatever that Cincinnati, Alabama comes out of that, whoever the winner comes out of that is going to be, will beat up. I think Cincinnati, or I think that um, Michigan is, is on a roll. I think that the way they're playing is just, they're playing hot at the right time. I know we've talked about that before. When's the right time to be hot right now? I think um, Harbaugh maybe will finally come into his own and become the princess that everybody uh, wants him to be. So that's my pick. Okay. All right. Well, my pick for the next time that we meet, I will say that I think when Cincinnati and Alabama play, I think that the game is won by Cincinnati because Ritter makes a miraculous three completions in a row, drives down the field, puts them in a field goal position, and wins the game by one with time expiring. I think that's how that game ends. So I if you're a betting man, get get on to some Vegas sites and start putting that money down because if Nick's right, you're, you're going to be for Listen, rich people. I know, right? It's, 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 I think there, there's, there is a lot of like little nuances in that one, but I think that, you know, the way that sports work and the way that things happen, I just, I have this weird feeling that we're going to get a crazy ending like that. And it's gonna that's gonna be a fun game. I think I think this year we're gonna have some fun games in the college football playoffs, and I think that's gonna be one of the more fun ones in the history of college football playoffs. So and I also hope that Michigan. <laughs> but to move into our final part of our double take segment, which it seems like Greg is super excited about for some weird reason. So um I'm gonna let him go ahead and give his one crazy thing that he saw, heard about, or that happened to him over the past couple. Well, just like I was talking about Harbaugh being a princess, did you hear about the big controversy in a uh, recent beauty contest that was rocked by a Botox scandal? For kids? No. For adults? So a camel beauty contest was rocked by a, a Botox camel. scandal. Like a like this, animal? Yeah, the camel. A oh. camel. Or more multiple camels in this category. This year, authorities discovered dozens of breeders had injected camels heads and lips with Botox to make them bigger. This was in Dubai that the Saudi authorities uh, conducted their biggest ever crackdown on camel beauty con uh, contestants that received Botox injections and other artificial touch-ups. It was a state-run Audi press agency reported Wednesday that over 40 camels, 40, were disqualified from the annual pageant. Now, Pageant's worth a lot of money. If you win, it's $66 million. So I see why they want these camels to look beautiful and have big heads and big lips because that's what sells camels, right? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I've never uh, never uh, looked at camels that way. So I don't know. Well, I guess some people do in Saudi Arabia. It's a thing. So uh, no Botox in your camels, people. Okay. Wow. People will go to extreme lengths to win any. That can't be good for the camel. Like, I mean, it's not good for us. So I can't imagine that it would be good for a camel. Interesting. Well, for my one funny thing, I was uh, looking at some some news and uh, trying to find something, you know, funny that I, that I saw. And it's definitely not a camel with Botox. But 
I didn't realize that in Maine, every single year, they have an event where they have a bunch of people dress up as Santa Claus and go ski down a mountain. You know, ski, snowboards. I mean, obviously, in the article, it says it's all to raise money for a, for a local charity or nonprofit. So that's good. But I guess on this, you know, it's the 21st annual Santa Sunday event. And they had over 230 people dress as Santa Claus and ski down a mountain or some slopes or whatever. But I just find that funny. And I don't know why. Because <laughs> the image of all them just coming down that mountain, all those Santa Clauses, that just made me laugh and giggle. And and obviously, like I said, it was it was for like a good cause. It said that they raised $5,000 um, for the River Fund in Maine. Um, so it says it's a nonprofit that aims to create to create a bright economic future for the community by investing in the education of the area's youth and by harnessing the recreational assets of the region. So basically just kind of giving back into, you know, the beautiful nature that they're experiencing up in their aims. So not a ton of money rains, but enough probably to help out for the year. And I thought that was a pretty, like, it was a pretty cool, funny and like heartwarming story. So obviously not Botox with camels, but if you ever are in Maine or you ever go to Maine, and you want to see 230 some Santa Clauses skiing down a mountain, I suggest going to the same. <laughs> thank you guys for listening. And thank you for, you know, continuing your support. As always, we will try to continue to give all of our best opinions on the Ohio sporting news that we have, you know, kind of experienced through the previous two weeks and next to each of our shows. If there is any sport or any team that we, you know, don't consistently talk about or that we haven't talked about, go ahead and let us know. And please go ahead and follow the Ohioverse Instagram page. If you have not already, we are um, sharing consistent, you know, updates on all Ohio sports, you know, all the way down to, you know, division three sports and you know that content is there those updates are there you can kind of see those things and definitely give the rest of our instagram pages a follow for all of our other shows and not to spoil anything but definitely be on the lookout for a new podcast coming next week i won't say what it is but be on the lookout it's definitely a podcast that's going to cover one of our major sports around the world so definitely be on the lookout for that. It'll come out next Saturday on the, again, thank you, Greg. Thank you to everybody who listens. Thank you for all the support. Continue to give us feedback and let us know what we can improve on. And as always, this was Ohioverse presented by Deep Dive Sports. Until next time. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you would like to hear more, feel free to listen to past episodes and look for new ones every Friday. And don't forget to follow us at deep.dive.sport on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for any update. And please let us know what you would like us to take a deep dive into next. As always, we are Deep Dive Sports. Until next time.